for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim, and I am the lead pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall, and I'm the associate pastor of Memorial in Stratford. All right. You ready for this? Yeah. No. I brought something okay. special for today. Brought it. I brought it for you. You brought it for me. What is it? Box of, <laughs> box of tissues. <laughs> so oh, here's man. here's the thing. Mm. You and I, you and I both tend to be criers, mm-hmm. right? Super emotional. It's been said. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Heart on my sleeve. It's true. I, I do the same. I do the same. Uh, for me, anything inspirational. If it's a story of sacrifice, dedication, if it's a story of, of perseverance and triumph, I'm mm. done. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be like a well-done movie. Right. It could be a, a good commercial. <laughs> and I've, I'm I'm toast. I've cried in a commercial before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you the same way? Can you watch movies like for me the classic is Rudy? Mm. Right, like too small to play football, mm-hmm. works his way onto a practice squad. In the end, all of his teammates are like, "This guy deserves a chance to stand on the sidelines at oh, least." Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. dumping their jerseys down. Take mine, coach. Give it to Rudy. <laughs> it's his last opportunity, and he gets to go out and actually makes a tackle. And yeah, and I'm I'm done. <laughs> I think the. The hardest I cried after a movie was um, there's a movie came out a couple years ago, World War One movie called 1917, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really immersive because it's all kind of one continuous shot, right? And so you kind of follow the journey of these two guys trying to go behind enemy lines, and uh, it's pretty epic at the end. Um, but like I got out of the, I made it through the whole movie, mm-hmm. got out, walked out to my car, sat down in my car. And then just like wept hard for like five, 10 minutes, man. Yeah. I couldn't stop it. There's something about this that just, it was just so well done and just connecting with like the hardships and the struggles that, you know, I mean, this is just, you know, a a story that takes place within this kind of historical event. But just to know, to get a sense of what so many people went through Mm -hmm. is just, it's heavy, man. It's heavy, but in a good way. Yeah. These are, these are very, adult kind of things to talk about here right like these mm. a good kids cartoon can get me too i'm mm. i'm an easy target <laughs> that's just the way i hope that doesn't dilute what we're going to talk about today mm. but we've got two episodes full of these guys right at the end of the 18th century the beginning of the 19th century mm-hmm. that are just those kinds of stories yeah, yeah. right just Excellent, incredible stories of perseverance hmm. and faith. I, I will say not always wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But at least dogged perseverance <laughs> yes. and faith. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Let's open up with Charles Simeon. 
Okay. Is that a good starting point for you? Let's let's start with him. All right. Charles Simeon. I first came to under to know Charles Simeon through the Charles Simeon Trust, mm-hmm. which began back at the end of his life. Um, he is actually a part of the Charles Simeon Trust in its beginning, its infancies. Okay. It continues on today. And uh the the Charles Simeon Trust, the, the purpose of their work is expositional preaching, teaching and encouraging expositional preaching. Okay. That is taking pastors and teaching them how to open up the Word of God, read it, and explain it, mm. and apply it. Right. Whereas sometimes what happens is a pastor gets a notion for what's a good idea— and says, let me find a Bible verse that supports that idea. Right? <laughs> right? Um, that is not expositional preaching. Um, and so Charles Simeon Trust works with people through that because, surprisingly, not every seminary teaches that. Yeah. Right? M- mine does. Yeah. But but uh, there but again we're like we host like Simeon Trust events and stuff so sure. we're like yeah we're, yeah they they've heavily influenced the yeah James Stewart is the director I think okay. or one of the directors for here in Canada yeah, for the friend Canadian. of mine um, so Charles Simeon comes from a pretty wealthy family he does yeah he decides he's gonna gonna go off to school uh, King's College in Cambridge still exists. You can still make that decision if you are also from a wealthy family. Yeah. That's cool. Um, he gets there and he learns that on on Easter, he's going to have to take communion. And this just hits him a little differently. Hmm. So he, he ends up saying of himself, Satan has all the right to take communion compared to me. Wow. Right? Like, that's just where he feels that he is. And he he's not really a, a determined believer at this point. Right. But there's something about the idea of taking communion that just hits him in a way that says, no, I, I understand that I need to do this. I have to do this in order to be a part of the school. But this is going to take some soul searching. So he throws himself into some devotional readings, throws himself into the scripture, and he comes out of it a changed man. Yeah. Like that, he is gifted the opportunity by God himself to lay his sins upon the head of Christ and be forgiven. Mm -hmm. Just rocks his world. Mm. And so he becomes a believer, sold out. I'm doing this thing very quickly, very quickly decides he's going to, uh, that God is calling him into the ministry. And so there in Cambridge, he uh, believes that God has called him to become the pastor of Holy Trinity Church. Okay. Uh, this is an Anglican church, right? He's an Anglican pastor, which means it's top down. Right? There's a governing authority, and pastors are assigned. Um, the bishop agrees. Hmm. You're the guy. The, the pastor there has died. You're the guy we want. Go to Holy Trinity. Um, his dad might have also written a letter to that uh, end as well. So he arrives at Holy Trinity. Nobody there likes him. 
Hmm. Like, we're, we're going to talk about how much they dislike him. Nobody there likes him. He's not the guy they want. They want someone else. In fact, there's a guy in the church, a deacon in the church, that has been preaching, kind of filling in while they were waiting. He's well known to the church. He's the guy that everyone wants. Mm. But the bishop has assigned Charles Simeon to be the pastor of Holy Trinity. So what do the people do? Well, one, they put chains across the pews and lock them so that no one can sit down while Charles Simeon is preaching his sermons. Oh, man. So everyone has to stand there, right? Charles Simeon preaches the word. And after a little while, saves up enough money to go buy a bunch of chairs that he can carry in and set in the aisles, in and around the pews, so that those people who were coming have the opportunity to hear him preach. Um, They come into the church, create disturbances while he's preaching, shouting, whatever they can do to make noise, throwing rocks through windows while he's preaching in order to scare him off. Guy preaches the word. They lock the doors. They chain and pad the doors locked so that no one can get in. He stands outside in the rain, the snow, preaches the word, mm. doesn't give up. Like wow. there, are, there are moments. <laughs> there, there are these moments where he... One, so one moment, very, very early on in this, where he writes a letter to the bishop to say, I'm not wanted here. What's the effectiveness of me being here? Um, I should go. I should move on. He goes to mail it. And he gets there, and the, the post office is closed. So he just missed his opportunity to mail it. It's okay. I'll do it tomorrow. He's laying there in bed asleep that night, and he's like, you know what? No. No, 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 no. Either God called me here, or he didn't. Mm. I believe that he did. My bishop believes that he did. Tears up the letter. Sends a different letter. Hmm. I'm in it, right? Good for him. So he does this, pressing through all of the pushback. Mm. How long do you think you could sustain that kind of pushback? How, could, how long could I sustain it? Yeah, we're, oh. we're talking like you're preaching, people are throwing rocks through the windows, shouting. No one can sit down because the pews have been locked up. And some Sundays you can't even get into the building, make use of the building, because someone has padlocked the doors shut. Yeah, no, I wouldn't last very long. Twelve years. Wow. Twelve years. Not that he pastored the church for twelve years. It was twelve years before people stopped trying to disrupt his ser- his services. Every Sunday. Why did they hate him so much? I don't know, man. Like, they just they just had in their mind, this is going to be our guy. And there was just this constant pushback. And so, pushback to... This, this kind of flies in the face of that pastoral tendency where people are like, oh, not every person there loves me, so I'm out. Mm, um, right, right. This right. Is, this is intense, intense, right? Like the the number of people actually attending church services, and, and because it's the Anglican church, a lot of it is just sort of like, if you're not a part of the church service, then, you know, where's my salvation line? Right, right. right so right. we're talking like a dozen people 
and less on some Sundays, just those people who are like, it's Sunday, you have to be at church or else. Right. Absolutely no growth. Like we're not seeing lots of conversions. We're, we're just seeing attack after attack after attack for 12 years. That's crazy. Before he's finally able to have a peaceable church service. Wow. He pastored that congregation in that town for 54 years. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, he, got, he obviously he had some some good times after the that initial twelve years. Twelve I, that's years of that that level of pushback, mm-hmm. and then stuck it through for fifty four years. Wow, wow. Hmm. You know, I don't think I don't think when you asked me if I could withstand that. There, there's a there's a part of that, you know, that's like you know personal strength or whatever discipline Mm -hmm. perseverance part of it's also the the model of church government like that just wouldn't happen in a congregational church if the congregation hates you they'll just vote you out right in fact at one point this this deacon guy that they wanted they sent a letter to the bishop like Mm. within the first week being like you need to pack this kid up because this other guy's already been hired Mm. right and so there's this like if you if you tracking with the british development of the church the the british reformation right that english reformation this is an anglican church that is dipping into this congregationalism thing that the separatists had introduced to them right <laughs> we've already got a guy your help is not needed in this right to which they're like we're not we're not the baptists we're not the separatists right you're gonna we're anglican and you're gonna do it our way yeah i'm the bishop you do you you right. have the pastor that I say you have. Right. And so so there's that interesting kind of thing that that toying with congregationalism yeah, so funny. that uh would have historically been unthinkable just mm-hmm. a few generations before, right? Right, right. Yeah. But hmm. also I mean, Charles Simeon sticks it out, good on him. Sure. Uh man, I, I think a lot of people and, and I don't know that they would be wrong. To say this is exactly what Jesus is describing when he talks about shaking the dust from your sandals and moving right. on, or throwing your pearls before swine. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a lot to be done. You you have guys that are working that hard to keep church from happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to at that point start saying, okay, what is the spiritual health of this community? Yeah, of this congregation, mm-hmm. right? Um, if they're doing this because they want this guy. And this guy's participating and prodding it along. He's not like publicly going, no, 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 this is the one who's been sent to us. Let's hear him. Let's mm-hmm. worship together in peace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the spiritual trajectory of this congregation without him staying put? Right. Right? Right. Uh, because these people are definitely not humbling themselves yeah. before the Lord and a pastor and all of those kinds of things in order mm-hmm. to say... Feed us, teach us, right? Yeah, it's tough though, too, right? Because obviously, the you know these people are being unreasonable, but it's kind of like if that's just dominating their thinking and their their time so much that they're unable to hear this man preach, mm-hmm. like they're unwilling to be exposed to what he has for them, then bowing out. I mean, there's a sense in which you're like you're letting them win. But then you're maybe maybe you're just letting them like 
not get so hung up on on this issue. Mm-hmm. You're being like, you know what? You're being unreasonable. Your dis- disdain for me is sinful and wrong. But if it's so great that you won't even go to church or you're going to try to prevent other people from going to church, I got to get out of the way so that you can just think you take a win and just go back to serving the Lord as you should. Right. Right. And I think there's there's a question for that, too. I think that that can happen, you know, for, for pastors like, you know, sometimes a guy might be, you know, wrongly accused of things. And it's like, well, if these people are going to get that hung up about whatever this minor little issue is like, mm-hmm. you know. Anyways, it's it's tricky. It's tricky, but, right, but respect it, for the guy for sticking it out. Like, I mean... Right, and that's where I would say, like, I, I find it an inspirational story mm. because he, in living in the circumstance and having all the information that we don't have right, and the communication with God that he is receiving, chose to do this, and it's a great example of perseverance. Mm-hmm. If you want a podcast that's going to come in and say, yes or no, it should have been done that way, and other people should follow that pattern and not other patterns, you're not going to find it here. No. Right? These these circumstances, that's just not how life works. Mm. Life doesn't work in these binary measures of yes, no, right, wrong, um, that are then transferable to every other life situation. Mm. You know, and so Charles mm-hmm. Simeon, I think he's incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't have the information available to me to say was it the right choice. Right. What sure. could what could he have done in other places? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe he could have been, you know, a Spurgeon in another place, just blossoming and having like the huge kind of career that people wouldn't be hearing about Charles Simeon for the very first time. Right. Maybe that's the case. Maybe, maybe he needed to be an example of perseverance um, for other people who are inspired to stick it out where they're at Mm -hmm. through hard times. Uh, And so God put him through those hard times Mm. to be that kind of a model. Right. There's, there's no way really to know, Mm. but that's a snapshot of his story. And, and I just want to say, I'm going to make a book plug. I, okay. So here's, here's where I'm kind of, where my head's at. Anyone who's listened to us all the way up into middle of September, at this point, I think it'll be towards the end of September by yeah. the time this drops, has some level of interest in church history. And I, some of these people we're talking about. I hope so. Yeah. John Piper went through a phase where he was just writing these little snapshot biographies like crazy. Uh, And then he took them, Crossway took them, and bound them all together into one volume, right? So you can find these in individual volumes, or you can get the the one huge volume. The one huge Mm. volume is called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. Mm. I didn't have to tell you the author's name (laughs) Yeah, for you to hear servants of sovereign joy and go oh that's piper yeah (laughs) faithful flawed and fruitful Mm. and it has just these incredible uh biographies of guys like this Mm. uh so you have augustine luther calvin bunyan brainerd uh newton charles simeon wilberforce those are some of the guys we have talked about Mm -hmm. 
John Owen. Mm-hmm. Let's see, William Tyndale. Mm. Adoniram Judson, who we're going to talk about. Uh, George Whitfield, C.S. Lewis. Right. It's just cool. It's just a really a really great collection. If you if you like this kind of thing, the stories of people who have done great things, mm-hmm. it's an awesome book for it. Yeah. Nice. So let's move on from Simeon. Yeah. And talk about William Carey. Yeah. So we'll talk about William Carey. William Carey is kind of celebrated as being kind of not the founder of foreign missions, but a pioneer of foreign missions. Now, like to be clear. The church has been doing foreign missions since Paul and Barnabas, right? So, <laughs> right, and I mean, you have like Patrick in the Dark Ages, mm-hmm. right, going going back to Ireland, and you had you know all these other stories like Francis of Assisi presenting the gospel to the Egyptian Sultan in the 1200s, right? So you have you have these things happening, but as the 18th century comes to a close and we get into the 19th century, these early 1800s, foreign missions are going to explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly into Asia. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we have to talk about William Carey. He's the one of, if not the central figure when it comes to the gospel going to India. Yeah, I think, I think universally known as the father of modern missions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. So William was born in Paulsbury, England in 1761, um, raised in the Anglican church, oldest child, bright kid, um, interested in all sorts of things, um, including plants, which mm-hmm. later on he actually gets to like run the or uh, oversee the botanical gardens in, in in Calcutta. But that's that's a yeah. So that was his life's trajectory. Yeah, but he, he had but he had allergies and had to step away from it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's hilarious. So that's what caused him to like. He ends up becoming a shoemaker. Mm. Yeah. So he, he a be- cobbler. A, no, not a cobbler, Tim. Oh, a cord wainer. Okay. So apparently, okay, I, this was in my notes. So no, this is this is up. fascinating. So a, teach me. A cord wainer is someone who makes new shoes. Ah. A cobbler is someone who repairs them. Okay. And nowadays, we often will use cobbler for like all of that. But at the time, there was like a distinction in the guilds of like, nope, you're you only you best be only. Do you think there was shoes. a hierarchy as well that one looked down on the other and? Yeah, just that's just you, sure. that's just the way people are. That's the only reason. I you're probably dealing with more like wealthy clients if you're making new shoes all the time. Yeah, I I just wonder if you're like because I said cobbler and you said no 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 cordwainer. I mm. I just could feel that taking place mm. within the trade. I'm not a cobbler. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. I mean, it's the difference between like working at the Gap and working at Value Village. Is that? <laughs> I don't know, but. But yeah, so what what launches him into that career change is is apparently allergies oh okay yeah there you go that that's really interesting to to know actually um so while he's apprenticing as a cord wainer um there's another apprentice who is a dissenter separatist congregationalist and he he persuades william to leave the anglican church and join the small congregational church so this is why it's important to note the allergies thing this is why i thought that was worth mentioning Mm. hand of providence Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. This guy's gonna gonna become a gardener. That's what he wants to do. He loves it. Mm. And God says, I need to steer you mm-hmm. to this particular influence because of the plan that I have for you. Right. Right. So he, he hits him with the sniffles. <laughs> and then makes him forces him to make shoes. Which I mean he does for, for a few years, but 
he's also interested in other things, and he starts teaching himself Greek while while making shoes somehow. I don't know how if he's like you know studying on the job or what, whatever it is, but but he okay. So here's the thing we need, you need to know about William Carey. There are certain people who are good with languages. Mm-hmm. William Carey's on a whole other level. Like it's it's it gets it, his his grasp of languages like. That's you see how the Lord is working in in his in you know in making him the kind of person that he is for the work that he's going to do. The gift of languages is that a biblical gift? Biblical spiritual gift? Gift of tongues? Yeah, maybe it is. Uh, so I, so you're studying Hebrew? I am, and have done a bit of Greek. I've done I'm done my Greek for my right English. right. These guys, these autodidactics. That's the word for self-taught. Hmm. There's your vocabulary word of the day, autodidactic. Cool. These guys who are self-taught in Greek and Hebrew, mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. It's in, like there's a reason they say it's Greek to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that, means, that means it's hard to understand. They don't say it's Hebrew to me. Yeah. That, that would mean I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm feeling right now. That would, that would mean, so it's Greek to me means I can't understand this. It's Hebrew to me would mean... What? There's no way anyone's ever going to understand this. What are you talking about? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it. Anyways, but at 20 years old, he marries his boss's daughter, Dorothy Plackett. And then his father-in-law dies not long after they're married. So he takes over the family business. And in his spare time, on top of, you know, the Greek and Latin that he'd already learned, um, he adds Hebrew, Italian, Dutch, and French to his grasp of languages. And he starts associating with a group of particular Baptists. So for those who don't remember, the particular Baptists are the more Calvinistic Baptists. Mm-hmm. Included guys like John Ryland, Andrew Fuller, some of these names we've mentioned before. Men that he would grow very close to over the years. Um, they allowed him to preach at their churches sometimes. Right. Um, and eventually in 1783, he became convinced of believer's baptism was baptized and was became a full fledged Baptist member, and he ends up becoming a school teacher, which is probably closer to what his true calling is than than yeah. making shoes. Um, Part time pastor of a church, he read Edwards, loved Edwards, mm-hmm. and his favorite work by Edwards was the life of the late Reverend David Brainerd. I, I told you last week, or it was yesterday for us, last week for everyone listening. These these guys in this era just can't get enough of that book. I have to read it now. So I ended up not buying it. What? I told you there were like six copies left on Amazon. I ended mm. up not buying it mm. because I just decided I need a used copy. Okay. So I'm keeping my eye out on all of the online used because oh, yeah. I wanted I want an old yeah. used copy. Yeah. Because I just feel like that's the format that this book needs to come to me in. You ever use thrift books? Yeah, that's where I okay. that's where I've got myself. Okay. I, I've got a couple of them that I'm watching there. Okay. okay. Um but yeah that's that's the thing. Mm. That's where I'm at on that. Because yeah. this era, as you know, is my own personal world right now of study. Mm-hmm. And every no one can shut up about that book. Yeah. So I it, I have to buy it. So He's inspired by David Brainerd because David Brainerd had done some ministry to First Nations people, and he becomes increasingly convicted for the need to share the gospel throughout the world. And he, what Kerry does is he writes a bit of this like manifesto for missions. 
Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that I, I, if I can get my hands on it, I wouldn't mind reading it. But it's called, it's got a, a, this great title, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the, heathen, of the Heathens. So there you go. That's, that's you know. <laughs> the Puritan, we've moved on, in my opinion. Yeah, we've yeah. moved on from the Puritans. Yeah. But their ability to title a work still lingers. Yeah. So essentially, this is, this is essentially where, where he's going with this. The Great Commission remains binding on Christians. Yeah. Was not exclusively for the apostles, mm-hmm. right? Um, he summarizes the history of missions work throughout the history of the church. He, and then he includes all these like charts and tables. Like he did his research. Like he knew where people were living, where Christianity had spread and where it hadn't. Mm-hmm. And where the where the need was greatest, right? Um, and then finally, there was a call to form a Baptist missionary society, and um, and in and in around this time, he begins using probably what is mo- his most famous quote as he's hoping to kind of drum up support for this missions movement: "Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God." I hope that translates over the recording that's me pulling a tissue from the box that right there Mm. that is incredible Mm -hmm. and i we're going to find out we're going to talk about how people receive this message Mm -hmm. and what we're going to do is we're going to condemn them yeah we are that's what's going to happen just so that you're ready for it i don't know that we are in a less condemnable state as the church in North America. Yeah. I think we're super excited when people go. We send them. Here's a check and a ride to the airport. Um, but we we still, as the church, ask the question, why? Why you? Right? I, I work with missionaries regularly. And this the pushback for people that are going on missions is incredible. Hmm. Every missionary, you talk to them long enough, you find out church members, family members, Hmm. doing all kinds of things to keep them from going, right? Hmm. It is not uncommon for family members to set up dates with their children right before they head, because maybe they'll fall in love and not go, right? It's not uncommon Hmm. for churches to say, we're not going to support you in this without really giving it any thought or conversation just because they're like, that's what other people do. Right. Why you? Uh, hmm. I was on the mission field with a guy who got a phone call from a school because we were a mission school, got a phone call from a school saying, we received your resume. It looks great. We would love to have a conversation with you about this position. He's like, I didn't apply for a job. And they're like, well, you're de- come to find out his son, his adult son had forged his resume. Wow. It was all correct. Right, and, right. But submitted his a resume on his dad's behalf for a job in his hometown. Wow. To bring him off the mission field. Parents parents who bought houses in their neighborhood and been like, we bought this house, we're going to rent it out, but we bought it for you. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to pay rent. Just come home, right? These kinds of things happen all the time hmm. because I believe we've, be- we've become uninspired. Hmm. I-, I, think, I think for us to attempt great things from God or for God, 
is just something we don't do. Yeah. And, and I would say particularly in our camp. And when people start talking about, like, attempt great things for God, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, that's a bit charismatic for us. Mm-hmm. Right? No way. These guys, most of them are particular Baptists. Yeah, they're old school. They would have been members of the Feb had they mm-hmm. been here. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and and expecting great things from God, we're like, well, if it doesn't if it doesn't work out in my spreadsheet, how can we know it's going to happen? Right. Right. And and so when I when I hear this, I just in, in this sort of thing, like I I want to inspire people in the way that that statement inspires me, mm-hmm. and I want people to just be like, you know what? Let's just sell out. Let's just sell out to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is such as this, a man who finds a treasure in a field mm-hmm. and sells everything to take it. I, I just want that so deeply. Um, but I feel like we hit so much ceiling. Mm. And, and the sort of calm down thing. In fact, one time, one time in a, in a similar kind of conversation, I had someone pull me aside and they said, I think you're just too American to pastor in Canada. And their notion for that was, it's Americans who get all worked up and excited and go try crazy things. <laughs> Canadians are a little more grounded than that. Uh, I, I hope to, I hope that's not true. I don't think it's true. I don't either. But that was this guy's take on it. Yeah. Well, some people are just or these guys that pulled me aside. That people, was their take on it. Some people are just weird. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I got to be careful what I say, just in case these are people that I know. Um. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't here. Oh, it wasn't here. Oh, well, then that's probably because they were German background and they're engineers and they just think through. They were. Everything. They were. They were Canadians. Okay. Well, there you yep. go. Okay. Anyways. Um. So yeah, not everyone. Not everyone in his denomination was particularly pleased with this idea. Mm-hmm. No. Do you see what I did there? I did. Including... I didn't even get a chuckle, Tim. Inc- <laughs> Come on, man. I was like, I was writing that. I was like, but anyways, it's fine. Because he's a particular Baptist. Just keep going, Tim. Yeah. They weren't pleased because they were hyper-Calvinists. Right. They were the kind of thing that people who hate Calvinists think all Calvinists are, essentially. Yeah. So at, at this point, the Baptists have had... A, we, we talked about it previously, the particular Baptist versus the general Baptist. Right. Right? There's a, a split... Which should have been tertiary, mm. at most a weak secondary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at this point, the chasm is growing between the two, and in a lot of ways. And then there's a a group that forms. You don't call them right or left. I don't care. But on the one far swing of the pendulum, that is hyper Calvinist. Yeah. Right. And and they're starting to have discussions. We're starting to see people say things like, I refuse to preach the gospel lest it fall on the ears of the reprobate. Mm-hmm. Right? A person does not deserve to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we know them to be elect. Which makes no sense. None. Because you're only going to know whether or not they're elect based on their response to hearing the gospel. Right. And right. it is it is the pendulum, on the on the other side of the pendulum swing, the general Baptists have become universalists. Yeah. Not as a whole, 
for either of them. Right, right. But these camps have become significant camps. Right. And and the middle ground between the general and the particular Baptists, maybe not less, mm. but it, at best equal, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of division on these things. Yeah. And and yeah, these these far leaning particulars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they said, who, who do you think you are? Right. Like, if God needed you, if God wants to save people in India, he'll do it without you, essentially. That's paraphrasing, but that's essentially yeah. what they say. We talked about John Ryland Sr., mm. John Ryland Jr., last week a little bit, just in passing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that was John Ryland Sr. who said that. Really? Who tends to, from time to time, sort of speak out of turn. Um, and, and there, there are back and forths between like Andrew Fuller and, uh, John Newton with John Ryland Jr. about like, Hey, your dad did the thing again. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's one of those. <laughs> or John Ryland or John Ryland writing to them being like, Hey, anybody got any wisdom on how to settle my dad a little bit? Right. Like reaching out. So it's a it's a known thing yeah, yeah, that he yeah. speaks out of turn mm-hmm. uh, and over overstates to make a point, right? Uh, and and people are aware of it. And you see this bunch of friends that we've talked about, like having the conversation, right. like, "Hey, this is what I think you should do." And that's what, yeah. Apparently, that was John Ryland, okay, the senior. Uh, John Ryland Jr. goes to his grave defending, saying. It, it was blown out of proportion. That's not exactly what was said. <laughs> it's the kind of thing he would say, but it, that's not exactly what was said. Uh, so, so John Ryland Jr. Mm. would say this is a thing of myth and legend that has been okay. blown out of proportion. There are a significant number of other people who were present that are like, no, he stood up and said, <laughs> God will gather his elect mm. without your help, young man. Right. Who do you think you are? And and the notion there of the hyper Calvinistic movement mm. is bizarre because the the idea then is by what means right. is God going to gather his elect other yeah. than the regular means of the preaching of the gospel? Yeah. But again, the I, I it was probably just him like projecting his own fear. Like the the fear of a lack of success. Right in in the mission, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like this is this is a big deal. Like this, to to go to India as a missionary mm-hmm. is a big deal today. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred times a bigger deal then. Like this, in, incomparably different, incomparably right. different. Right. Like, and not to diminish those who are faithfully going now, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's not the same ballpark, right? So, I mean, it could just be like this young kid who's all excited and you know, like wet behind the ears, whatever. I don't know what that expression means, but whatever, right? It's like, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go save India for Jesus. And this guy's like, yeah, whatever. You're just like, sit down. yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And not only, not only just a sit down, but who do you think you are? Right? Like that, yeah, that's, that's rough. But I wonder, does that attitude exist at all? When a young man says, I want to be a pastor. Yeah. And people are like, who do you think you are mm-hmm. to be the one standing in front of everyone teaching week in and week out? Yeah. I won't say his name, but when I after I was already hired here, I spoke to someone within our fellowship saying, 
hey, now that I'm working as a pastor, I really feel convicted that I should be ordained. Like mm-hmm. most denominations, you don't get a pastoral job until you're ordained. Right. And he's like, well, you know, why don't you just like, you know, wait, wait a little while, see if this thing's actually really for you. Yeah. And I was like, let's let it play out a bit. I was like, ooh, really? Okay. Yeah, I remember that. And I, that hurt my heart a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah. And, and so that's where I, that's where I say we, we have this bit of skepticism. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's different than what. We're going to be gracious and say what allegedly Rylan <laughs> puts to William Carey, mm-hmm. where his is a theological bent. Mm. I, I think ours is maybe skepticism or apathy mm. uh, in a lot of ways. What about guilt? What about what possibly? about what about? I don't want all these people to go over there and do this this great thing because then I have to like wrap my head around is like. What am I doing? It amplifies the fact that I'm not. Yeah. It, it, that's a possible thing. Whatever it is, like the, the whole point of this is a history podcast. This, the point of this is not to just like sure, trash the, the church as right. it stands. <laughs> but, but just to say that when, when, it, when at first read, you read the story of William Carey in this way, mm. you think, how could that ever happen? Who could ever? And, and I think it's worth taking the moment to go, now I could see how we get here from the, or get there from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully that uh, hyper Calvinistic group were not the power players in the particular mm-hmm. Baptist church and he gets his mission board and he gets his funding and he gets the green light to go. And so William, along with his wife and children, they board a ship in April, 1793 set sail for India, but they don't get very far. It's worth noting mm. among those people who hated this notion and thought that shouldn't be done under any measure at all and were a part of the who do you think you are mm-hmm. is actually William Carey's wife. Yeah, yeah. She she hates on this project as much as, allegedly, John Ryland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't get very far. They end up stopping off at the Isle of Wight. Um, and there's a problem. The problem is that this particular journey... And who you know, and how it was all going together was technically a violation of the monopoly of the East India Company. Mm-hmm. The East India Company is going to rear its ugly head a few times in in some of these stories, uh, but thankfully, a couple months later, they convince a Danish captain to bring them to India, and they arrive in Calcutta in November. So, just to be clear, they first get on a boat in April. They're stranded on the Isle of Wight for like a couple months, where uh, Carrie's wife has a baby. She's mm-hmm. pregnant. Well, yeah, she that's one of the reasons she doesn't want to go. She's got a toddler yeah. and she's pregnant, right? Yeah. She's like, this is stupid. And, he's and then like, they come on. They get back on the boat in June, and then it's not till November that they arrive. At first, he was going to go without her. At one point, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but in any case, but but think of the timeline of like how long you're on a boat for. Like for me, I I just don't like being on a boat. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of spending months on a boat. That's a yeah. No thanks. Um. Anyways, that's a talk about travel days, right? Like, remember when you like if you have like a long like flight, like if you're traveling far away and you gotta like fly somewhere and you have a layover and you gotta fly again, you're like, oh man, it's been like a day and a half that I've been I traveling. I love that. I love that. The layover. I love sitting in the airport. I, that whole thing. I love it. I I don't mind sitting in the airport. I don't like sitting on the plane. Oh, as yeah? long as I'm not sitting on the plane. No, no, no I don't like that. I, I enjoy it. If I'm in a vehicle, it should be moving. Anyways. Yeah, I, but when you think about like these long trips on a boat, I mean, I know lots of people that do this for fun. 
right? Your meals are comped. Yeah, your room is small. There are all kinds of activities. This is not a cruise ship. <laughs> This is not. This is not. There's no bowling alley on this. You don't think they have bowling alleys and water slides? No. Their meals, all the food you want, right? The buffets. Oh my goodness. Live bands. (laughs) An Elvis impersonator. (laughs) They're like, who's Elvis? Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. You'll find out. This is a little ahead of its time, but your kids are gonna love it. (laughs) Your great, 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 great grandkids are gonna love it. Um, Okay, so they arrive in (laughs) India. And he immediately sets to begin uh, to begin learning the Bengali language. And uh, while he's doing that, he's actually he's working. He's managing an indigo plant, which is making like blue dye. And within six years, not only has he learned the Bengali language, he has completed his translation of the New Testament into Bengali. Right. So, learns the language, learns how to speak it, read it, write it, then translates the whole New Testament into it. A moment of sobriety. Inside of this, because we've talked about how he's learned all of these languages on his own, mm-hmm. autodidactic. Mm-hmm. He sends a copy of some work that he's doing back to Andrew Fuller, who is a, a close friend. Andrew Fuller reads through some of the English copy of things that he's going that he's written to be translated. Mm. And he writes him back, and he's like, bro, it concerns me, brother, friend, that someone who is working in so many different languages has such a poor capacity to communicate in English. (laughs) Because this is nearly illegible. Unintelligible. Right. Are you sure you're good for this? Mm. Because I'm reading this and I'm thinking, maybe languages aren't your gift after all. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So Andrew Fuller sends him back this. Yeah. All right. So like on the surface, but when you... So at that point, William Carey's like, what? And he, he starts giving copies of the Bengali mm-hmm. works that he's done to other people. Mm-hmm. Come to find out. It's unintelligible. Like, Mm. he didn't master the language like he thought he had. It was broken. The grammar's off, and no one can understand what's going on. Right. And so he kind of has to step back and go at it again, Mm. bring in some helpers to kind of guide him through it. He might have gotten a little bit ahead of himself to be like... With the first edition. Boom. I got this. Right? And it it took a, a friend... Yeah, Andrew Fuller to say to be able to go, dude. This isn't as good as you think it is. This, this, and he's not even talking about the Bengali stuff, right? Yeah. He's talking about some of his English work that has been right sent back to be published in England. He's like, man, if your English is like this, I don't know what your Bengali is like. <laughs> what is that? Uh, what is it? The the jack of all trades quote is like uh, the jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, yeah, jack of all languages, master of none. Maybe is what. Uh, yeah. Where he gets. Anyways, yeah. Um, eventually though, this missionary society, as because because Carrie's not entirely alone. Obviously, his wife's there, but there's a few others that end up right. kind of joining him over yeah. the years. Uh, they actually have to move. They have mm-hmm. to move to Danish-held territory of Serampur because the East Indian Company was hostile towards missions work. Yep, and tried to shut them down. The East India Company did not want missionaries in India or in any of its territories, period. Mm-hmm. Um, so they end up going there. They purchase this large house. 
um, where they'll live. They operate a school from there. They set up a printing press, and they begin producing copies of the Bible in Bengali. Mm-hmm. Um, and in as people very slowly begin to be converted, there is some issues because the the people in that region of India are predominantly Hindu. Um, and Hindu has a very strict caste system. Mm-hmm. And the question, the question is once people become believers, what importance does that have in their life? Right. And to us, we, we might seem like an well, obviously none. Right. right? But, right. but that's, that's a difficult thing they have to work for. But there's two converts. One is a Sudra. So that's the lowest of the four. I mean, above the the you know the non-human, the untouchables, the untouchables. But peasant class marries a Brahmin, upper class, priestly class. And we shouldn't actually class isn't even. It's not class. It's caste. Mm-hmm. Caste is much more rigid than class. Right. For us with class, it's like oh look, a poor person married a rich person. Isn't that inspiring? Right. Wasn't inspiring to the Hindu people in India when that sort of thing no. happened. And to be honest with you, it hasn't changed. No. Like, this is still a battle of the church in India. It's a battle of the church in Africa. Tribalism oh, yeah. and, and caste and class systems yeah. are, are still to this day things that missionaries are trying to encourage the church. You go, you see the church, you're like, wow, this is fantastic. This church has been running for decades. These people obviously love the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and you find out they won't do outreach in their own communities because they're of a different class or of a different tribe. Mm-hmm. And... And and that is a thing that mission missions work in these cultures with these class and caste yeah. systems have yeah. not yet cracked. Yeah, it's so rigid. And you know, the Indian government even today would would like to assure you that it's no longer a thing and it's equal rights for all. But I mean, even Gandhi, mm-hmm. when when Gandhi was doing his thing, he didn't like the Untouchables. Right. He's like, yes, we need to be free from the British. Uh, just don't, 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 don't even bother with those Untouchables, though. Like they just leave them where they are. They're, yeah. they're fine. So like this is, so it's, it's a challenge, right? It's an ongoing challenge. But this, their public wedding is a public demonstration that the church is at least going to try <laughs> to mm-hmm. overcome this system. Right. Um, Kerry ends up receiving a position at a local college, and he's working alongside indigenous te- like Indian teachers and he learns Sanskrit but this time he's taught by a Hindu priest so he doesn't teach himself Sanskrit um, and so he begins translating the Bible into that language as well in fact during Kerry's lifetime that printing press that they had would print the Bible in 44 different languages and dialects eat your heart out Andrew Fuller <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but maybe 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 they weren't great. The value of those things is increased because Fuller has caused him to slow down a bit. I think so. And I think yeah. the team grew, right? You'd right. have different people focusing on, you know. Right. At, at that point because because what kind of happens is at that point Carrie stops feeling like he has to be the one to do all of this mm-hmm. and starts going, you know what? I need other people speaking into the project. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, to translate the Bible to write the Bible 44 times mm-hmm. in a lifetime is an incredible feat. Oh, yeah. Right? So, obviously, he's not translated 44 languages, but these things are simultaneously running, and he has other people coming alongside and into the project. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. I would say without Andrew Fuller's message... It might not have been... It might not have been more than 
five. Yeah, and Kerry also is politically influential. He convinces the the Dutch governor of that region to put a stop to two things: uh, infant sacrifice and something called sutri. Or it actually has a number of different names, but it's the practice that was common in Hinduism, where when a man died and his body was being burned, the widow would throw herself onto the funeral pyre. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like expected or it was recognized and honored and so he pushed the governor to ban those practices so no Mm -hmm. more infant sacrifice and no more widow suicide which is good you know a lot of people a lot of people have criticized william carey for being an imperialist for imposing britishness right through his evangelistic work right but like you know what sometimes there are cultural practices that are wicked and evil yep and sometimes, I mean, in that case, not, not that the Brits were, you know, always the, you know, moral superiors in all ways, but in that case, they were right. Yeah, I, I've, spent, I've spent a lot of time living internationally, mm-hmm. and I've become very well acquainted with the notion that sometimes there's not a better or worse, there's just a different. Mm. That is the majority of the cases in cultural interpretation. Sure. Sometimes there is a better and worse. Yeah. Yeah. And not killing your babies is better. Right. Um, in 1807, Carrie's wife, Dorothy, died. She'd been unwell for a long time, right. though. She'd had a mental breakdown. I mean, keep in mind, she didn't want to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a traumatic thing to go through. Yeah. And I, I think this is going to, this is very much in line with the Charles Simeon it's awesome, but would you encourage that? Yeah. T- to be honest with you, for those of you who don't know, I'm uh, chair of the board for a missions organization. Um, GEM would not send a, a man to be a missionary knowing that his wife was against it. Yeah. We, would, we wouldn't hire that person. Yeah. Um, if they were on the field and it came known to us that there was strong resistance, we would pull them off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, if that grew to the level of mental anguish and depression mm-hmm. that she is in, mm-hmm. there's not even a conversation. Yeah. Right? Uh, that's the way we would do it. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not going to project morally on to Carrie and mm-hmm. what he should have done. Mm-hmm. I don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one bringing this before God. Yeah. He has access to this bit of information that I don't have. He made his decision. Mm-hmm. It's just always valuable to present the complexity of it all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and her, her mental state, I mean, it really deteriorates until the point where she's like just out of control, like flying into rages. Like there's some of his, his peers would, would write about how he'd be in one room working on his Sanskrit translation and she'd be, you know, raving all sorts of things. But, but he refused to So some people said, why don't you send her to an asylum? Cause that's what you would do at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he refused to do that. He refused to do that because he feared that she would be abused there. And so even though it, probably slowed his work down even though it was difficult even though it was challenging even though it would have been so much easier such a big burden off his plate to just 
put her like I mean now we hear the word asylum and we think oh who would have ever done that's just what you did that's yep. where they went and he refused to do that and cared for up until up until her death mm-hmm. um so I mean again we weren't there we don't know you, you might say we maybe should have just gone back to England but by that point I don't think returning to England is going to make a difference she's lost yeah. her mind and and who's to say like I I would I would even stop short of saying lost her mind. Sorry, yeah, we, maybe that's just because we don't have the information to say maybe this is something that was showing itself while they were in England, right? And 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 he's just saying like, listen, it's the same here as it was there. It's mm-hmm. not about the location, right? Right. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, we do know that she was violently opposed to leaving in the beginning. Um, this may get into the whole yellow wallpaper conversation. Mm. Whatever. If you don't know yellow wallpaper, it's a short story that is classically uh, discussed mm. and argued from multiple perspectives about whether or not a, a husband caring for the mental health of his wife was appropriate or inappropriate. Mm. Um, my take on the yellow wallpaper is that it's... Well, forget that. We're not going to talk about the yellow yeah, wallpaper. But just to say... It is it is complex, mm. and and to say simply should have with the very limited amount of information we have is unfair, mm. um, and maybe arrogant. Right. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Um, they open up a seminary. They begin tra- training indigenous pastors, providing an education. Uh, for anyone who wanted it, regardless of caste, regardless of ethnicity, um, it actually, that seminary became the first accredited institution in Asia. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, accredited by European powers anyways. Hey, yeah. Um, however, as the older generation died off, new people were brought in um, to the missions board. Um, some, you know, weren't down with the kind of communal living situation that, that Carrie and others had set up. Um, you know, some people kind of worked their way in, really wanted to reorganize it, make it operate more like a business. You know what I mean? Like just how, how can we maximize output and, 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 you know, Carrie tries to work with these new people, but eventually he just has to break ties with the society that he founded, Mm -hmm. Um, which is not uncommon. Yeah. And so he ends up living, he lives at the college that they founded and he, you know, in Serampore and he keeps teaching and he preaches and revises his translations and then, you know, kind of dies quietly in 1834. In all of this, the number of conversions Mm. that he sees, the amount of fruit for all of these labors and struggles Mm -hmm. is incredibly small. Yeah. We're talking like a decade before he gets to one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. Um, he's, he's building a lot of foundation, a lot of foundation, not only there locally, mm. but a foundation for what foreign missions is going to look like. Yeah. From an Anglo culture. Sure. What the British and the Americas are going to do in order to reach he is for better and worse laying out the fabric of this is what foreign missions is going to look like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right not that he's setting out to do that but he does that right right um and so it's 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 easy to look and be like 
you know, one convert after like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Come on. Right. Uh, that's not what we call success. Right. That's not how we measure those things. And, and I think it's unfortunate because we still measure missions that way. We right. Do. Missionaries, when they come to raise funds, still need to be able to say we had we had this much quantifiable success. Oh, we had Tim. I had people ask me we had VBS. We did a VBS a few weeks ago, even just in a VBS. People are like, how many kids made professions of faith? Right. And mm-hmm. that's the measure. Right. It's like, anyways. Yeah. And, and so, so what happens, <laughs> but what happens with that is, is we end up with inflated numbers. Oh, of course. I, I, it's said so many times in missions conversations that if every profession of faith announced by a missionary mm-hmm. or a short term missions group, when they report back to their church were a literal conversion, mm-hmm. all of Africa would have been saved a hundred times over. <laughs> right? It's true. It is true. And and what it leads to is it, it leads later on into a, a concept we'll talk about called decisionism, mm-hmm. which doesn't take place until really the 20th century. We start seeing decisionism as a really strong thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just pray the prayer, make the statement, and we're going to move on and call that a win. Yep. Right? Um but those kinds of things exist, and there's pressure for it. And in a modern instance, I think a lot of people would have given up on Kerry. Yeah, probably. Right? They would. He would have been defunded. You know what? We're just not seeing the stats that we want to see. But what he ends up doing is setting a base for the house to be built on. Yep. Right? Uh, which is, in some ways more important mm-hmm. that that foundation is being laid right mm-hmm. um so yeah he's his perseverance through it all is an incredible story oh, it's yeah. not without its complications mm-hmm. i and and the reason i keep disclaiming that i know people are gonna hear this and they're gonna say and, and it's not just carrie we talked about it with john wesley mm. right um should have been better husbands. Yeah. And here we are putting them on a pedestal to say, look how they were men of God. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the point of this is not to say, we're going to lift up the greatest people mm. and put them on pedestals. The point of this is, we're telling the story of the church. Right. Right. And, and just that we say this took place doesn't mean that we're saying it should have taken place. Mm. And just because we put the disclaimer on it to say maybe it shouldn't have taken place doesn't mean that we think it shouldn't have taken place, right? This is about presenting what happened. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it is important for us, not only as we look back across history, but as we live next door to our neighbors mm. and as we operate in, in the church to be gracious mm-hmm. and say, you know what? I don't know what you're dealing with. Yeah. I don't know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there are better judgments to make. Mm-hmm. Um, that's between you and God. Um, yeah. And and these, these things are complex. I think the thing that I find most encouraging, you know, with, with someone like Carrie is that, you know, he didn't really see the fullness of the harvest that he was a part of. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, now 
now, like, I mean, so if you, like, this is just for Baptists. So this is not, you know, expression of all Christianity, but the, the country with the most Baptists is the United States. Mm-hmm. Second is India. And third is a place we're going to talk about next week, Myanmar. And again, that's going to be thanks to another great mission, uh, missionary leader. But these things take time to grow, right? But establishing just this solid, solid base, doing the language work, establishing seminaries, like that is, that is key, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think a lot of modern, and maybe we're, I don't want to go too far because we're already over an hour here, but I think a lot of modern missions, the focus is like, we're, we're there to make, like build relationships, which I think is important. Relationship building is, is important, is a necessary component, but it's just like, it, that's, sometimes it feels like that's all it ever becomes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, what you need is, you need the word of God in a language they can understand. Like, first and foremost, that's why these guys, like, right off the bet, right off the, the get go, they're like, translate the Bible. Mm-hmm. First thing. How are you supposed to make Christians without giving them God's word? And that's what they saw in Europe. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was the whole point of the Reformation yeah. in Europe. That's where revival, genuine revival came in Europe, mm-hmm. was making the Word of God accessible mm-hmm. to the people. Yeah. And then you establish seminaries so that you can train up indigenous pastors so that the churches in these places can be self-sufficient as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Right? And and so I think that model, and I know there are certain organizations that are really sticking to that kind of model. And, but to, for me, as I'm reading it, I'm just like, that is, that's how it has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, cause otherwise you get a Christianity that's only an inch deep cause people are, they've seen the Jesus movie, but they don't have a Bible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's a problem. Yeah. One, one, one can precede the other, but you can't have that sort of, here's an inspirational movie. Mm-hmm. I got nothing else for you. Yeah. Right or like expect to have churches, but no scripture for them mm-hmm. that that they understand. Right, and for sometimes, sometimes it's going to be you having to teach people to read their own language so that they can read the Bible that you've translated into their language. Right, it's work. It's it's hard work. It's long work. But like that is how I think you make a lasting impact in a culture. Yeah, and, and I I think too, we expect missions work to be Jonah work. Right, right. Jonah shows up in Nineveh. Yeah, repent. And he's like, repent. And everyone's like, okay. (laughs) Right? Like, that sermon, that sermon that Jonah preaches is overly simplistic. Yeah. Yet extraordinarily effective. And it's to the discouragement of every pastor who's ever preached before a congregation. (laughs) Yet, the majority of the prophets aren't Jonah. Mm Mm-hmm. They're Jeremiah mm-hmm. and Isaiah and these guys who just find blocked, uh, blocked road after blocked road. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, they were used by God to deliver his message of himself and his will for his people mm-hmm. to the world. Yeah. Not to their glory, but to his. Yeah. And those those dead ends that the prophets ran into, that pastors run into, Simeon ran into, William Carey runs into, hmm. these things do not 
mark success or lack of, right? Our job is to be faithful Mm -hmm. in the church. Yeah. And that's what these guys are doing. Um, They're they're being faithful as best they know how Mm. in their limited capacities and with all of their warts and scars Mm. there for the world to see and to judge. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I think the best thing that we can do with this, and, and the next episode will be part two of this, mm-hmm. across both episodes, I think the best thing that we can do is to move out of the place of deciding whether or not we think these guys were right, justified, and worthy of recognition, right? Placing our judgment on them as as heroes or villains mm. is not our, it's not necessary. Mm. I think what we should do is be inspired to say, with my limited capacities, with my warts and scars, shouldn't I also be expecting great things of God and attempting great things for God? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you want to start making judgments, if judgment is just sort of where you feel led to be in this, Mm. make that judgment first. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Mic drop. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you later. Stay tuned for part two. Mm-hmm.